everybody had a good time. You know, my favorite cell block tango <laughs> part was the cell block tango. The tangos we made along the way. <laughs> what are cell blocks if not tangos persevering? <laughs> Welcome to Blind Spotters, a movie podcast about the movies we've missed. I'm Zach Pocklip. I'm Amanda Luberto. And today we are doing another movie swap. I watched Chicago for the first time. And Amanda, what do you watch? I watched The Sting. But before we talk about those, you know, little films, little films, whatever. Uh, Amanda, how are you doing? <laughs> Two Oscar Best Picture like award winning films. L- little films. Just me and my silly little films. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a little uh, boat, but little films. Uh, no, things are good. Um, <laughs> Imagine being, I don't know, anybody involved with these all-time movies and being like, the third thing mentioned is Lil Yachty. <laughs> Robert Redford's like, I'm turning this podcast off. <laughs> I'm out of here. Oh, God. <laughs> I bet Captain you- Zeta-Jones is staying for the Lil Yachty talk, though. You know what? I wouldn't be surprised. Did you ask me how I'm doing? Because I'm doing yeah. I'm doing. How good. are you? Oh, I'm good. <laughs> we've been back in theaters for a while now watching movies yeah marvel movies again things are good did you go see black widow oh did i go see black widow yes i did and i had a great time amanda i just am so happy for everybody jumping on the florence pew train yeah i welcome welcome aboard it's we've got plenty of room i've also seen black widow really fun um thursday i'm gonna go see inside the Bo Burnham like movie in a theater I haven't seen it yet um and we'll see how it goes I'm going with my friend and her husband uh famously highly neurotypical shout out (laughs) to to Ryan but uh we'll see how it goes uh worst comes worse I'll just drink a lot of cherry coke and uh eat some popcorn (laughs) that that sounds that sounds great I (laughs) man shout out to Bo Burnham Oh, speaking of movies we just watched for the first time, I promise we're going to get to our actual movie swap. I watched Legally Blonde for the first time this morning. Just truly, A, your your, sleep schedule is very concerning to me right now, but I'm going to blame sports, I presume. Um, And then B, truly like a formative text in like American history. (laughs) (laughs) I love Legally Blonde so much. So good. To my sleep schedule. This was my last, I don't know, 18 hours or so. I get home from work, went to do like a workout or whatever. And then I watched The Sting for our podcast, accidentally fell asleep on my couch, woke up at about four. And I was like, well, I'm not really that tired. And I don't really want to like start my day. So I watched Kajillionaire, that movie with uh, Evan Rachel Wood that came out last year, which was pretty good. And then I was like, well, I got two more hours before I need to go to work. I could, you know, go to the gym. I could cook myself breakfast. I could do anything. And instead, I decided to watch Legally Blonde. I think that was all the caffeine I needed today. <laughs> it's so good. I'm I'm really glad you liked it. I think Reese Witherspoon is like my favorite white lady. Um, if, <laughs> <laughs> if like, God forbid anything were to happen in the next couple of weeks, like, please cut that out. But like, I love, I love Reese Witherspoon. I just want to say, uh, and, and in reference to our last pod, which we talked about the Royal Tenenbaums, 2001 must have been a great year to be Luke Wilson. I'm sure this has been covered for two decades now. But like, what a year for my guy. Yeah, I really would like to know like where it kind of dropped off. Like cuz he was like pretty he was in there, but 
I don't know. Maybe Wes, he was like Wes's first choice because him and Owen Wilson are really good friends. But like, can't imagine he was like everyone's first choice for every movie. But I don't know, Luke Wilson. What the fuck am I talking about? Uh, Let's talk about the movies we're talking about. (laughs) So before we do the coin toss, let's talk about why we are watching The Sting and Chicago at the same time. So I wanted you to watch Chicago for reasons we'll talk about later. And we were trying to figure out like how we could put it into the pod. And jokingly, I suggested that we use it as a Chicago crime. Like that's the theme because it technically is a crime story from Chicago. And that seemed to stick. So we went with The Sting. Um, another crime story that takes place in Chicago. You may not assume that these two movies have anything in common. They have a few things in common, which we'll get to, but um, yeah, that's why we put these movies together. Yeah, it was a little bit of a struggle for me to figure out what to put with Chicago because I really didn't know anything about the movie Chicago. Um, It was really between the movie Widows and The Sting, both very good, but I just decided to talk about The Sting. Uh, So with that, should we flip? Yeah, go ahead and flip. And I'll choose heads. Tails. Okay. All right. You choose. (laughs) I want to save Chicago. Let's talk about the sting first. All right. Let's do it. Amanda, it's time to talk about the sting. You follow? (laughs) Yeah. All right. So (laughs) here's sort of what happened. Please, at the end, I'm sure I'll have missed something, but I'm going to go for it. Movie starts with Johnny Hooker, who's played by Robert Redford, conning a man out of $11,000 with essentially an elaborate pickpocket with his partner, Luther. Luther later says that he's retiring and that Johnny should get in touch with Henry Gondorf if he wants to keep conning. Little did they know that $11,000 was going to mob boss Doyle Lonigan. Later on, a corrupt cop named Snyder shakes down Hooker and ends up killing Luther. Because of this, Hooker is on the run. He's got to get out of there. Um, And he goes to Chicago to find Gondorf. And this is played by Paul Newman. Uh, When he gets there, he sees that he's uh, sort of washed and not really what he expected. It's because Gondorf is hiding from the FBI. Hooker wants to take on Lonigan, and Gondorf is reluctant, but eventually agrees. They come up with an elaborate plan that includes a high-stakes poker game, Lonigan trusting Hooker, who is undercover, and a whole fake horse betting scheme. Uh, Meanwhile, while this is all happening, Snyder, the crooked cop, is in search of Hooker still, and he reaches out to Lonigan to find him. Not knowing that his new friend and Hooker are the same, Lonigan tells Snyder that he'll put his best assassin on it. Um, Hooker continues to win Lonigan's trust by winning smallish bets at the horse betting parlor because it's all a ruse. And eventually, uh, Lonigan goes in to bet half a million dollars. This is what I will refer to as the big con. Uh, the night before the big con, Hooker finally sleeps with the diner girl that he's been flirting with the whole time. That woman ends up trying to kill him. Turns out that was Lonigan's best assassin. But Gondorf had hired someone to protect Hooker, so that guy kills uh, the assassin. Lonigan goes to the betting parlor to, quote, place it on Lucky Dan. Misunderstanding, he puts the whole half a million on that horse winning it all and not second place, which placing is mean second um he panics and he tries to get his money back then the fbi come in they bust the betting ring it is led to believe that hooker double crossed gondorf and so he shoots him in the back he shoots hooker in the back 
the FBI respond by shooting Gondorf and Snyder rushes Lonigan out of there um, because he's like in cahoots with the mob guy um, before he can recollect all of his money. Um, And then a moment pause, like there's like a pause, like a moment passes and then they all get up. It was all part of the plan. It was a whole, a whole thing, the big con. And uh, the, at the end they both decide that they don't want the money. And then the movie delightfully ends. How did I do? I think you did pretty solid seeing as it's a pretty confusing plot that kind of comes together all at the end. It's so, very elaborate. <laughs> incredibly elaborate. Yeah. In a methodical movie. But you did a good job. Why did you pick this movie? I mean, we kind of talked about we were looking for a crime story, but like, why did you end up going with this one? I just think it's one of those movies that uh, relatively iconic, um, you know, won a bunch of Oscars and it paired together paul newman and robert redford for their second and final movie together um of course the first one was butch cassidy and the sundance kid both were directed by george roy hill so that's a movie we both enjoy for obvious reasons because it's a freaking classic so yeah i just figured hey why not watch them run it back and uh watch movie stars be movie stars because man robert redford and paul newman shout out to those guys totally so, you know, with all of that in mind, upon watching it for the first time and completing it, what were your first impressions of it? So it was very elaborate, as I mentioned. So I, the first time I watched, I did end up watching it about one and a half times. Um, I really just tried to keep up with what was going on. And so it was a little confusing. But those last 10 minutes, like that really they they got me like when <laughs> they shot hooker in the back i was like i i like gasped out loud to myself i was like oh, no way like no way <laughs> and and then you know obviously the rest ensues but i think it is definitely a movie that will be best on rewatch once i like know what's going on but it was uh, those last like 10 minutes are just really incredible another thing that really stood out to me was like the ragtime music i know is like very famous in this movie but i was like going crazy i was like i like can't listen to like the plunking of the keys like anymore (laughs) oh my god i I, I, like turned the tv down (laughs) i was like i can't do this (laughs) honestly i just like that part just because i've played a lot of red dead redemption uh and (laughs) (laughs) even though this movie isn't a western it still has that ragtime piano music and so i was like "Ooh, this is fun Yeah, it was fun for the first half, and then I was over it. (laughs) And then, like, as we mentioned, like, Paul Newman and Robert Redford are just so good together. They're so fun. They make such a good duo. Um, And that was just another thing that I, like, really took as my first impression watching it. Yeah, I want to talk about the the ending because it doesn't ever come back to check on you throughout their plan. It isn't like, oh, we're 90% of the way there. This is all we have to do left. Um, It just is kind of like, all right, the con is on and you just have to watch it play. And I remember the first time I watched it and, you know, the shooting happens. I'm like, man, this is one of those movies where it's just like a bummer and the heroes don't get away and like, ooh, new Hollywood, whatever. But no. And then, you know, they stand up and they're smiling and laughing. And I was like, yes, the good guys win or the bad guys win or whatever. They're all bad uh, guys. It's almost just a relief at the end, right? Yeah, it was just really... uh... It was shocking, and then it immediately it was funny. I think that was another thing that I I noticed on first impression. It was like it was surprisingly humorous, 
Mm-hmm. Um, there were moments where I was like literally like laughing out loud at like commentary or like things that they were doing with their face. And I was just like, oh, wow. Like <laughs> I, I wasn't expecting to like laugh so much. Not that it, I would say it's like a comedy. Like it's don't go expecting that. But like I was like, oh, like that was very quippy. Like that was funny. I like that. <laughs> yeah. And a thing that I, I like about it is and, you know, this comes up in crime heist world movies but especially these guys who are playing con men they call it the play like do you like my play or is the play bad it's funny because the word i was just thinking of when you were talking was the movies are playful Mm -hmm. and i think about it like anytime they they get off and it works their joy and their happiness is more in the fact of like pulling off like the prank or whatever whether it's the first little heist with luther and johnny hooker or at the end it's just like oh my god we did it fooled them and to the point where you know the guys don't even take the money at the end it's just that's the way they want to live that's how they make their living but it's one of those um find something you love and you'll never work a day in your life and it turns out the thing they love is illegal but they're having a great time that's funny yeah no it was very (laughs) like it was very light-hearted for being like a movie about like a crime boss and the FBI and like these mm-hmm. two con men and like all this kind of stuff. And I think it's maybe just because like the theatrics of like the horse betting that they put together <laughs> is like so extravagant and like just so over the top that you're like, what is happening? <laughs> what is going on? I have a thing about the horse betting like logistics that I want to get to later. Um, okay. But in terms of the playfulness, I think a lot of that just has to do with Paul Newman and Robert Redford because mm-hmm. it's not like the script is hyper playful. It's just those two guys love being on screen together or even independently. They're just like they're just freaking movie stars, man. I mean, that's not anything new. They're two of our greatest movie stars ever, but uh, they are having so much fun with this. Yeah, they just play so well together. It's it's really fun to just watch like masters do their thing. Yeah, and especially whenever, you know, having watched Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid and then this one, they love playing in both movies. It's one of them is the young up and comer kind of more fiery and it's Robert Redford. And then Paul Newman is like a little older or in this movie, he's a little washed. And it's funny. I think Paul Newman had to convince them to let him play this role because they thought he was too handsome. Like originally Gondorf was supposed to be just like fat and out of shape and washed. I remember, I remember reading that, that he, they, when they put, uh, Newman on the project, they sort of rewrote the character a little bit to fit him more aptly. Shout out to Paul Newman. Doesn't your mom love him or something? Oh, yeah. Mom lo- moms love Paul Newman. So <laughs> this is true. Uh, I also love Paul Newman. My mom was a big Robert Redford girl, as I guess anybody her age would be. But I remember my dad telling me that her and her best friend in like middle school, when they would go on like field trips to the theater or whatever they did in the decade that was they would just sneak off and go to robert redford movies cute That's <laughs> which really like cute. which like full respect love that um so i'm sure we'll talk about those guys at nauseum because they're the main characters but um you know what stood out from it you said like you said it was playful it was fun um but what else kind of caught your attention yeah so i really liked the way it was broken up like that first screen comes on almost like a silent movie i thought that was really fun it was unexpected i didn't have a lot of expectations for this movie i guess but i was just like oh okay that's like that's something to note that was i was really interesting and it kind of continued and i was like all right we're moving on to this chapter and i liked that i figured you would like it as a person who loves episodic tv yeah it kind of 
serializes the movie. And also, I, I don't know about you, but I love a movie that comes in parts. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I love a movie that's separated in parts. I don't know. It's just like a small device that's really easy to use, but I, I enjoy it every time. Yeah, it's really fun. So another thing I was noticing, so I watched the movie and then I was like, how I like couldn't put the math together as to like how Robert Redford and Paul Newman were the age that they were in a movie that felt like it was so old. And then I looked it up and I was like, 1973, like there's no way. Like that's not <laughs> that's not when this movie was made. And when I like think about like 2001 A Space Odyssey was made in 1969. Right. Like this movie is so outdated looking. And then I read it was on purpose. Like they mm-hmm. styled it to look like a 1930s movie. And I was like, oh, that makes way more sense. <laughs> so I was like watching. I was like, I like couldn't get an understanding as to like when this movie was. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so jarring because, yeah, same thing. I was like, wait, how old are Ro- like Robert Redford's 33, I think, and Paul Newman's 38. But they also feel older than that, but they also just are timeless. And what's it's the thirties. It was very uh, confusing. <laughs> and like, I, the only other time you see these guys are in the old West. So it's like, are we a hundred years in the future now? And then the other thing that really stood out to me, um, that I have, you know, leading into the next question, I've also thought a lot about is that the movie is like very simple, but it's also like very complicated. You know, the simple premise is that they're trying to con this guy out of, out of money Yes, they're con men. They're trying to con the mob. That's the premise. But there's so many layers to like each section of the movie. And I was thinking about it like if they were to make it now, it would almost have to be uh, like Ocean's Eleven style where they like Mm. explain most of the con to you as like the team is like getting together. They explain the plan up until, of course, like they don't explain the shooting and and that kind of mm-hmm, like they don't mm-hmm. explain that but gotta have gotta have some shock and and appeal <laughs> but they'll explain like the whole thing in like a montage or like a, a meeting or like something like that like that would happen now that way like when you're watching it you're like oh this is when they're gonna do that part like i remember that and yeah. they didn't do that um which i think makes it complicated but also like makes the movie really good yeah i <laughs> this is such a weird shout but i thought of uh it in contrast to now you see me because that's a movie where they do a lot of like tricks and twists but then they explain it all at the end and show you show you the trick basically um but to bring up another steven soderbergh movie it also kind of reminded me of watching no sudden move because that's a movie that also doesn't really explain what the heck is going on the whole time mm-hmm. um and then just keeps twisting in on itself but yeah it, it was it'd be interesting if this movie was remade it'd probably be faster right it would probably be like 20 minutes faster you probably wouldn't have the whole selino subplot which made it like extra confusing yes because <laughs> yeah that was just a whole thing where i'm like wait but also <laughs> what's like it, happening it does like sound like i don't know i feel like you could do it in sort of like a. it would have to be really flashy though oh like, yeah and maybe not not like carry on throughout like the whole movie but maybe like a mention Mm-hmm. And then, like later, you see someone like try to shoot him, and it's like, oh, that's the that's the girl I just slept with, and you're like, oh shit! Yeah. <laughs> like it could be like three minutes of the movie altogether, probably. Did it ever take you out of the movie trying to keep up with it? Because you're better at following plots than I am. I think like I didn't understand that, and I don't know if I was meant to understand. I think that was purposefully confusing. I didn't understand that the person with the black gloves wasn't the assassin. 
Mm-hmm. There was like a third character in that like device, and I was like, oh, why would he have <laughs> hired someone to protect? Like that was a- when did that happen? When is that? That doesn't make sense. Uh, and like it does, like you just have to take everything at face value. But also, like I was like, oh, what- what's happening? Why are there so many characters? <laughs> yeah, it's such a head fake, and because you don't know that the FBI is not the FBI until the very end. Yeah. So you're under the assumption that Robert Redford is about to double cross Paul Newman because the feds have him. And then you find out that Paul Newman was protecting Robert Redford, which is supposed to make you feel bad. But then it doesn't matter in the end. <laughs> but I also think it gives like it gives heft to the fact that Doyle Lonigan is like supposed to be this big scary mob boss. Yeah. Because throughout the movie, like they're conning him the whole time. Like he seems very vulnerable mm-hmm. and small. And they needed like a reminder throughout the whole thing that like he is this like well-respected guy you aren't supposed to be fucking with because if not i was just like i don't know he seems kind of dumb like he keeps like (laughs) leading into like they keep winning which is the point but they don't seem that afraid of him um so i think that that was sort of also a device to continue this like we should be careful with who we're messing with but yeah. we're not. We're playing fast and loose. <laughs> was this movie any more or less confusing than when you watched A Few Good Men for the first time? Oh, way more confusing. There's way more characters. Uh, the only thing I didn't understand in A Few Good Men was the fact that those two actors were not the same. <laughs> <laughs> and like minuscule like legal stuff that I thought I like because I watch a lot of it, Law and Order like that I was like I feel like I should know what's going on but I don't. Like I just, but that that wasn't like ultimately massively important to the to the plot. Like it it was but it, I could follow along. Where this one I was like Okay, is that character like on our side or not or who? <laughs> and then once obviously the like you get the reveal and I'm like, oh, okay. And then like watching it again, I'm like, ah, I see, I see what's going on. Yeah, I almost in rewatching it, I had to like flip a switch in my head and be like, the con is on, the con is off, the con is on, the con is off to like understand what characters they were playing but it was good like i i don't know if it would be as entertaining had it been more straightforward yeah for sure it kind of keeps you on your toes and you you can see like if you're following along you're having as much fun as they are Mm -hmm. okay so with all that in mind you know since you watched it the one and a half times what have you thought about the most yeah so i just keep thinking about how interesting it is that paul newman and robert redford have done two very famous, very successful, and very stylized movies together. Obviously, we talked about Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, one of my favorite movies. And I think once I put it together, this movie was made in 1973, made to look like the 30s. I was like, oh, there. It's very, uh, it's very like not that all movies aren't performative, but there is like a theatrical aspect of doing a period piece Mm -hmm. that not all movies have. And I was like, Oh, and they did two of them and they were both very good and they're both Mm -hmm. very different. Like they didn't do two thirties or two Westerns and easily after Butch Cassidy and the Sundance could, they could have just done another Western. Like Mm -hmm. I think people would have very much liked that and they could have made like a million dollars. But I think it was interesting that they were like, We'll do another sort of like we're doing a play <laughs> and and I just thought it was like an updated version of like a very similar vibe mm-hmm. 
And I thought that was really fun. I know you can do period pieces whenever. That's how time works. But it's fun thinking about them doing a 30s period piece in the 70s because that's the equivalent of uh, somebody doing a 70s movie right now, right? Like, that's the timeline. And I also, like, something that also struck me was like, okay, 1973, why does this movie look so old? Greece was in, I think, 74 or 75, <laughs> and it looks way different. But that is also, also a period piece about the 50s. And I feel like that is maybe as far back as I would have assumed they would have gone. But for them to go like another 20 years, I just think it was, it was really, um, it was very artistic. It was, I liked it. Yeah, and it's fun thinking about this where it lands in like Hollywood history because it's like in the middle of that new Hollywood thing. Like this is after Bonnie and Clyde. This is after Easy Rider. I think mm-hmm. this is either the same year or like right around when Chinatown comes out. It's such a throwback, right? Like it's it's an ultra throwback in that way. I do wish Newman and Redford did more movies together. Like obviously, it's I kind of think of it like, I don't know. I wish Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan were in more rom-coms together. I wish these two guys just were like, all right, let's do a buddy cop movie. Let's do a uh, we're out on the countryside type of movie. It does preserve a little bit of the sanctity, though. Yeah. I love that they were just like two and out and you'll love them both. And but as a consumer, I'm like, but 200. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm, I'm just thinking about this because I've, I've gone through watching like all the Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn movies, and then all the um, Ginger Rogers, Fred Astaire movies. I just love a pairing that they're like, I mean, I guess the studio system in Hollywood has its pros and cons, but it was very different see, then. <laughs> yeah. I would have loved to see these guys in like six more movies. Yeah. Uh, what else has been uh, uh, on your mind? So I thought this was really funny. So I posted on Instagram about watching this movie. I like to post about when I'm doing my blind spotters pod homework and every person who messaged me and they were like, love that movie. Great movie. Every single one of them was a man. (laughs) (laughs) It was like Everybody that told me they were excited for me to watch Chicago was a woman. Yes. This is perfect. Oh, no, God. it was really funny. Like, I just had like a bunch of dudes being like, yeah, great film. And I was like, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> and Man. like, there were friends. Like, it, there's no, there was not yeah. like an overt film broiness to any of the messaging. I just thought it was funny. I was like, of course, like, of course, my guy friends love this movie. Like, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. For as much as we said that, you know, women love Paul Newman and Rob Redford, guys love Paul Newman and Robert Redford. Absolutely. <laughs> that's so true and then i also thought a lot about i mean i mentioned it a little earlier watching oceans 11 that to me is like that's that's the con movie that was like most formative probably saw it at the right age and it was just flashy enough with the right movie stars for my generation but i was like oh all like crime movies are the same like they're all <laughs> like it's a, it's very formulaic and then it's like how you play with the formula um mm-hmm. and i think like maybe halfway through the movie i like realized that and i was like okay i can kind of follow along a little easier now if i like place them in sort of boxes that i know Mm -hmm. which made it a lot easier to follow not that all crime movies are the same as a bad thing i think it's great all horror movies are the same like (laughs) i watch all of them anyway (laughs) yeah and like obviously crime movies can there's subgenres within that there's like you know the detective crime movie this is a caper movie there's the heist movie and you know those all have variations this is like a like i said a throwback kind of con movie yeah, it was really fun. It's not in the style of movie I usually watch, and I'm glad that 
you like kind of forced me into it because I probably would have bailed out like maybe 10 or 15 minutes in for no real reason. But I think it's one of those things like if someone like makes you watch something and you finish like you'll appreciate it once it's over and you're like, okay, Mm -hmm. I'm glad I stuck with it. It's like reading a very important book. Sometimes you're like, yeah, I could watch TV instead. But if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this and then I'll appreciate it more at the end. And I, I, I felt that way about it. Yeah, I mean, that's like the whole goal of this podcast in a way, right? It's like, I probably wouldn't have ever watched Chicago. I Who knows? Um, is to, you know, push us toward those little parts that we probably know are like, oh, yeah, that's probably good. I know it's good. Everybody says it's good. But like, once you experience it for yourself and kind of, you know, get those in your back pocket, it's just a good feeling. You feel mm-hmm. accomplished. You feel proud of yourself. So given that this is, you know, one of those prestigious pretty iconic movies uh, what were some of the stuff first stuff you looked up about it so i wanted to know like did it win anything and i don't <laughs> know if i had any expectations again i was like maybe this is a cult classic like maybe this is mm-hmm. in the smithsonian like i have no idea like somehow it was completely off my radar yeah it's in the second category like it did it won a ton of awards so many awards so it ended up winning uh seven oscars including best picture and julia phillips became the first female producer to be nominated for and to win best picture Mm. which is very very exciting it won a ton of stuff which was really fun and then i actually texted zach i was like both of our movies won best picture (laughs) couldn't couldn't be more different (laughs) yeah man what a time and this is you know the year before like the really iconic 1975 movie year but it is still fun like i think in the best picture there's like american graffiti uh the exorcist which you talked about on our intro pod and i love american graffiti too so i think that's interesting that you mentioned that those two movies were also in that category because it definitely feels like at that time the oscars were like no 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 this is what we know as hollywood and those other two movies are like oh this is very new What's happening? Yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) And then another thing I was thinking, because of how like sectioned it is, I Mm -hmm. was thinking it would make like a very good play, like a straight play um, where you can do sort of like a curtain close and then a set change and you go on to the next thing. And it wasn't. It was just a written script, which I thought was really interesting. But they did make it into a musical with uh, Harry Connick Jr. To me, it sounds like a bad bad idea to me, but... (laughs) I I haven't seen it, but it didn't win any Tonys or anything. I don't even know if it got to Broadway, but they did make it into a musical featuring Harry Connick Jr. as the Robert Redford role. That sounds like a choice. That does sound like a choice. (laughs) And then I was wondering if anyone remade it because it feels like in the era that we were in, I'm going to say maybe 10 years ago when they were like, let's just remake everything yeah yeah and i was like oh they totally could have remade this movie and maybe it was too close to when like the oceans movies were super popular but i feel like they could totally remake it like you put the right like shining stars in this movie like some some real fun quippy charming handsome men it's gonna be a fun movie not that it isn't already a fun movie but it could be a fun advanced version of this movie yeah, this is one of those movies, though, where you don't need to call it The Sting 2022. You can literally just call it something else and, like, make it in New York or make it wherever because yeah. it's such a excellent version of the formula mm-hmm. that, you know, you can just spruce it up with some modernness and run with it. Do you want to take a gander at, like, casting the leads? Oh, gosh. 
<laughs> I know, putting you on the spot. I know. I'm trying to like think about like specifically like age. I think Oscar Isaac could be in this movie. Okay. I think he's yeah. like just handsome enough, but also I would believe that he is like a con man. Yeah, he could go into the inside Lewin Davis or whatever he's about to look like in Dune. Yeah. Um, and, and kind of be the or like uh ex machina kind of kind of vibe. <laughs> it all comes down to ex machina all the it time. It all comes back to the dance scene. <laughs> Joanna Robinson tweeted the the gif of it, and then she just wrote, "Do you ever just feel like?" <laughs> I responded, and I was like, "All the time, Joanna, all the oh, time." <laughs> my God, uh, that scene like changed me as a person. Um, <laughs> who else could be in that role? Um, I'm trying to think of like the young person. I feel like Lakeith Stanfield would be fun. Ooh, yeah, that would be really fun. He plays he would have a lot some of, of the most interesting roles. I feel like every time he's in something, I'm like, who thought of you for this? What a genius. I would yeah. have never picked you. But like, I'm glad someone is smarter than me because you were the right person for this. Or Steven Yoon in, in the Johnny Hooker role. Like, just let him have fun. Yeah. I love Steven Yoon. Yeah. Shout out to him. Shout out um, to him. But I think it would be really fun. Like you said, like, you don't need to necessarily call it like the sting version two because it is such a perfect version of the formula you could even like make your own version using the same formula and then use you know what it is referred to on other podcasts that we enjoy as director bullshit and you could just <laughs> like incept in everyone's mind that this is a movie influenced by the sting so then when they watch it that's what they're thinking about yeah i think most recently a big case of director bullshit is the loki show being like we were really influenced by before sunrise which is just like saying conversations are important yeah but it's like two lovers will they or won't they they're on the train on public transportation <laughs> and like yeah, a far off land where neither of them really belong they could have just been like we were influenced by doctor who and it would have made sense too yeah I, and which they were <laughs> yeah and but the whole time i'm like yes this is the before sunrise episode yeah which like everyone kind of feels that way which is very fun so yeah anyway i think it, it could make <laughs> it would be warranted to make like a really good remake of this movie it's mm -hmm. been a long time um but it doesn't necessarily need to be that way like i think Similar to Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, like it doesn't feel as old as it is. Like mm -hmm. it is so advanced in the way it was put together. Um, and even like, you know, I mentioned it before, like uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey. I've I've told you many times, like when I first watched that movie, I was like, there is absolutely no way this movie was made in 1969. Like <laughs> it's so modern. And even though the movie is like meant to look older and that was like a, a comment that I had made, it doesn't it doesn't like not keep up with modern movies. So mm -hmm. it's not something that needs to be remade. I would not want to watch it as a television show, even though I'm a yeah. huge television person. I think because you would have to use the same sort of spin and like people who know the movie would know the spin already and they wouldn't want to watch it. But um, yeah, not a good TV show. There's too many like that already, but it could be like a really cool movie. Yeah, I think because The Sting, like you said, it's a period piece from the 70s. It just feels like it doesn't feel quote unquote dated. It just feels like a time capsule. It feels like a, a capturing of that moment. It's like whenever I watch Singing in the Rain and then I, I realized, I don't know, a decade later, I'm like, oh, this movie was made in like the 50s. Like this wasn't in the silent movie era. That's just when it took place. Yes. Um, you know, which is, I guess, what happens whenever you become older and realize 
time. I mean, Greece is the same. Like if some, if you, if you like stopped a random stranger on the street, you're like, what year was Greece made? They'd be like 1954. (laughs) It's like, no. Yeah, exactly. Yes, correct. (laughs) But speaking of like, you know, what it would look like modernizing it, I kind of want to bring it back to the movie itself. The horse betting plot that it kind of hinges on is, is the most dated thing, right? Like, yeah. if we if it takes place now we have twitter like that's not happening we like you have to do something this movie has to be in its period for it to make sense as a con i just thought that was funny you could change the con or like figure there a hacker is so tacky but like (laughs) you would have to figure out like some way to get around that and like every heist movie kind of does i recently watched this movie called sneakers which is oh yeah uh, also, very very famous movie yeah also a robert redford movie and that's just hackers bullshit where they just like click some keyboards and then they did it um, it just it always reminds me of jurassic park when the girl's like i know this program i can do this <laughs> and I'm like, what <laughs> sure yeah i just thought the whole setup with like the fake bar the, that place looked like a great place to hang that looked like so much like when i realized what was happening i was like this is so fun like what a brilliant idea it's just a big cosplay it's a big theater act like they're just they're playing parts and they're playing characters and they're in costume and it's, it's just it was really fun two last things before we wrap this thing up i just wanted to shout out luther who is played by Robert Earl Jones, also known as James Earl Jones' dad. Oh, that's fun. I didn't know that. And I knew that going in the second watch. And like now I was like, oh, it sounds like him. He has the voice. That's yeah. fun. And then last thing I wanted to talk about, I wanted to talk about Robert Shaw, who plays mm-hmm. Lonigan. I think he's awesome in this movie. I love what he's got going on. He does a really good job. I think it's fun to watch. I mean, I'm a really big Sopranos fan. So like that is ingrained in my brain of like what the mob is i love that this was before like there isn't that like macho brooding sort of experience i like that he's just like a well like a little bit of like an elevated person that's like hey man what do you think you're doing and like i i like that part about it i love that it's just clear like the only reason he wins at things is because he cheats and he only plays things that he knows he can win he's not power drunk he's just used to being the man in charge that's why like the you follow catchphrase is so great because it's like yeah fall in line everybody falls in line with me i also think it's wild that two years later he is quint in jaws and he looks like a piece of leather that's been left out in the sun for like 80 years drinking and smoking every day a lot like really just ages you i don't know i just wanted to shout out robert shaw the movie is really good especially upon rewatch um so any listeners, if you've already seen it, but you maybe haven't seen it a little bit, I would definitely watch it again to sort of like reinforce that because it really just, I feel like an extremely successful second viewing. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Lastly, with that, would you watch it again? Yeah, I watched it almost immediately again, mostly because <laughs> I had uh, 42 hours left to <laughs> watch it a second time on my rent, but um <laughs> But no, it was good. It it almost it does remind me of a few good men where I commented that I would watch it with someone who hadn't seen it yet to watch someone mm. watch it for the first time. Yeah. Um, and like put those pieces together. That's like the fun part of watching it for the first time is trying to figure out what's going on. I it's not maybe a movie I'm gonna like, oh, I had a bad day. I'm gonna like sit and watch a movie. What movie am I gonna watch? Like this movie with like nine hundred parts to it. Like might not be what I put on, but if someone's like, I really want to watch this movie, I'd be like, hell yeah. 
<laughs> I just also wanted to tack on. They did make a sting too. I don't know if you saw that when you. I did. I did. It looked terrible. Um, it has a zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which I know doesn't matter, but a zero is pretty bad. Even zero is bad. <laughs> this the score was nominated for an Academy Award. Just watch the sting. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Watch the sting. All right, we are gonna take a quick break, and then we're getting we're getting musical with it, buddy. We're getting jazzy. We're getting jazzy. This episode of Blind Spotters is not at all brought to you by Changing Hands Bookstores in Phoenix and Tempe. If you are still getting your books from Amazon, that is lame. We here at Blind Spotters proudly support independent bookstores for all of our novel needs. Go to Changing Hands. You can get a coffee, you can get a beer, you can get a snack, you can walk around. Everyone is friendly and it just has all around good vibes in there. Support local and support Changing Hands Bookstore. Zach, I gotta ask, but did you do it? Not guilty. (laughs) (laughs) By the end of the pod, you will know all the words to all the songs. It's fine. We'll move on. Beautiful. (laughs) I I feel like if we were back in our uh, college living situation in which you lived down the hall, that would certainly happen. Uh (laughs) All right. So I had you watch Chicago for the first time for a couple of different reasons, but let's have you just start by giving a plot summary to the movie. Okay, plot summaries and musicals are always fun because it's like so secondary, but I'm going to go for it. So Roxy Hart, played by Renee Zellweger, is an an aspiring performer having an affair with a man named Fred, whom she believes can get her into like the performing business. Uh, Turns out Fred was lying, so Roxy shoots him. At first, she gets her husband, Amos Hart, played by John C. Riley, to take the blame, but once he finds out that it was an affair he rats out roxy and she goes to prison there roxy meets mama played by queen latifah who is like the leader caretaker in the jail and she also meets velma kelly played by Catherine zeta jones who we saw in the beginning of the movie sing all that jazz which was fun shortly after we meet billy flynn played by richard gear who is velma's defense lawyer and eventually becomes the same for roxy to try to get roxy off the murder charge Billy helps her become like this media darling and it begins to work, but Velma is peeved because Billy isn't giving her as much attention to her case. And this dynamic kind of goes back and forth. And then when it seems like Billy's attention is moving off Roxy onto someone else, Roxy fakes a pregnancy to earn more sympathy from everyone. Eventually we get to the courtroom scenes where Billy gives them the whole razzle dazzle, plays some tricks, including faking Roxy's diary entries and pinning the blame of those diary entries being fake on the defense and both Velma and Roxy are freed. Afterward, Roxy becomes kind of a fledgling, failing performer until Velma approaches her about doing a double act, banking on their notoriety, and it ends with the two frenemies performing in front of an adoring crowd whom they couldn't have done anything without. Nailed it. You did a good job. Yeah? Okay, cool. So you had made a comment about like the plot being secondary, and I think musicals kind of go into like two sections. There's one where it's like, Plot is a way to get to songs, and then Uh there are some where it's like songs happen in the plot. This is definitely the first one. This is like (laughs) plot needs to happen because we need to get to the next song. Mm -hmm. Not to bring it up for the 900th time, but like Grease is definitely like (laughs) they're singing about the plot of the movie. And like, I don't know, Hamilton is that way. Like they're singing about the plot of the movie instead of telling you they're singing about it. And this is not one of those. So I think it's a very stark 
And I think it was a very interesting movie to have sort of like kicked off this like respect for the aughts in movie musicals. Uh And it literally won best picture. Like it won the number, like Bon Joon Ho, (laughs) The Parasite, and this movie are on the same level (laughs) according to the Oscars. (laughs) And I love Chicago and I love Parasite, but they're very different. (laughs) So I thought you should watch it. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to ask you why, but I know that was bursting from you. Yeah. That was beautiful. I love that. All right. So what are some of your first impressions? The first thing I thought of was how unapologetically it is for musical fans, for, I don't know, musical theater for people who love things like this people who love the old razzle dazzle you might who say love the old ra- they love all that jazz because even in the set pieces of the songs it's not like you know like you know singing in the rain or if you want to go modern like la la land where it was like in the setting of the movie they're like okay we're gonna go to a stage now um because this is that kind of movie i kind of thought it in contrast of Moulin Rouge because that's also a modern musical which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit more but just in terms of like these two movies coming out at similar times and kind of catching that that whole wave um and and it it definitely just being like all right we're doing the musical with a capital M and not trying to hide anything about it and this is the musical that's that's for this 21st century we're not you know tap dancing with like beautiful stages in a studio it's like no we're we're doing these big major numbers i think that was something that i had forgotten about the movie is that it truly is these little side vignettes when they go to do the song and like the feeling of the stage production Mm -hmm. is there and is not like in a lot of movie musicals you have to be like how do we take the stage production and make it into a film. I'm going to use um, Dear Evan Hansen is like coming out this year. And that was a stage production and they're making it a movie where people are also singing. Like Mm -hmm. this is very much like you're watching a stage production that we have made into a film. And that's like, that's very different. And I feel like it could have been like a little campier, but the way it's done in this sort of like cabaret style, this very smokehousey, like you feel like you're you're in the club watching them do all of these things was very like that's the way they can kind of get away with it, I think. Yeah, I almost felt like every time somebody would start their song, I was like, Oh, should I like pour myself a drink? Like, you know, should I bring a nicer table, like Copacabana style, and just like get a lamp on there and you know dress up a little bit like I I was watching this in my pajamas on my couch and I was just like oh uh I don't know if I'm up to the occasion right now like <laughs> felt like I was doing them a disservice there's like performances throughout yes. I thought I was saying like everybody got their own show you know like each number was a number it wasn't just like we're gonna sing in this setting because that's where we are yeah um, and like which- Chicago very much it, I mean, it's an extremely famous movie, but it's also like it is has some of musical theaters like most renowned songs. Like every mm. time I listen to the, the stage recording or the soundtrack, I'm like, oh, all of these songs are in this movie. <laughs> like, 
holy cow. Like this is, you know, they're batting like nine out of 10. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. I honestly didn't know that much about the songs because it's not really my bag in terms of music, but I did know all that jazz because my sister went to a performing arts middle school and every year in the spring during the recital, the eighth grade dance class would do an all that jazz number. Concerning. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it was fine, but I was just like, I, so for three years I had to hear this song every year because it would be the final one of the show. Mm -hmm. Um, That's literally the only thing I knew. I'm sure it's nothing like how they did it in the movie Chicago because, well, it was in middle school. Anyway, (laughs) moving on from that, obviously with, I think of it like rom-coms or musicals, it's a real star vehicle. And man, these had stars. Renee Zellweger, great. Catherine Zeta-Jones, great. Richard Gere did his best. He was handsome. Oh, I thought he crushed it as Billy Flynn. I always like that was something I had written. I just down. meant like singing tap dancing wise. Oh, I'm like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. you're an actor. You're you you did like three months of training. You did your best, but you're Richard Gere and you look handsome. Yeah. He plays the like skeezy lawyer like yeah. so well. Like that character is so good for him. The, I love that each each of the main threes in their characters heads are like the main character of this story like i deserve all the attention even billy flynn or especially billy flynn we hear velma say like never forget billy flynn is out for billy flynn or whatever she says like that everybody is just shoving each other for the spotlight and i think they conveyed that well in their performances and everything but in terms of how they did for their i don't know performance of the musicals i can't really speak to i know like you know Catherine zeta jones was nominated and, and stuff like and queen latifah was nominated as well but um it seemed like everybody was having a great time of the main three Catherine zeta jones is the only person with prior musical like on stage history mm-hmm. um the other two don't uh which i think people were like a little nervous for renee zellweger to play roxy because they're like this is a very famous and Pivot, like a, co- <laughs> a coveted role in musical theater and like this girl has no stage history and yeah. then when she did so well and then i didn't see it but the movie judy that came out a couple of years ago about judy garland like people are like renee zellweger and i was like no she can do it <laughs> like only because i've seen her in chicago so many times so i know she could do it <laughs> it's funny in my notes i literally put lol judy preview yeah, literally, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it is super random, right? Like she was in Bridget Jones' Diary a year before this, like a few years before that, she was in Jerry Maguire. It seemed like a left field, but also I wasn't really sure what her credentials were. Apparently, the producers didn't know she could sing either. She's got that smirk. It's so perfect for Roxy. She was also nominated for Best Actress. Mm-hmm. Uh, so shout out to her. Good job by her. Speaking of actors, John C. Riley. Because we grew up when we grew up and came of age when John C. Riley was just Will Ferrell's Robin to his Batman. It's funny learning about John C. Riley, the character actor, mm-hmm. and like realizing that that's a thing. Like he is a very good actor, and he doesn't get a lot to do in this role. He's almost like it's flipped on its head. He's like the wet blanket significant other who is just like brushed off to the side while the other person goes off to do greater, more dynamic things. But he does it with such a like a earnest stupidity and an earnest dumbness. Like he's a blue collar guy and he's just trying to do right by his wife and stay morally sound. And he kind of hits all those notes without being, you know, annoying about it. He is Mr. Cellophane. Like he is... <laughs> looked through and he's there but you don't notice him and but he's always there and he'll be there and he'll keep you together but no one's no one's looking out for 
for Amos. And I think John C. Riley just has like a little bit of like a, a doughy eyed look that he can yeah. put on that does really good. I don't think that this is sort of the characteristic that all of his like capital A acting performances have, but I think he is like so perfect for this role. It actually makes like Mr. Cellophane like is in like the bottom of this of these songs and it's one of my favorite songs out of the whole musical because of the way he sings it like it just gets stuck in my head all the time he's yeah he's really good i had fun because when his little number started i was like can john c Riley sing and he doesn't really sing he does like the i'm speaking in a singing voice and performing but it's awesome like the mm-hmm. whole little back and forth dynamic um, that he and Renee Zellweger have is just a lot of fun. And I don't know, John C. Riley rules, man. Just like um, at the end when she's like, baby, what baby? And he's yeah. like, what? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, no, like no shit. No shit. <laughs> she's off to be a, a star and you're. You not, helped her. You got her there. You got duped. Yeah. Uh, poor guy. The other thing I just kind of. You know, upon first watch, I just love in courthouse dramas and jail movies, the prep the client scenes and sneak stuff into jail scenes. It's just always fun. Like, it's always creative how they do it, whether it's like in terms of sneaking stuff into jail. I think of Grand Budapest Hotel with the with the pastries. Every prep the client is good because they're like, you have to say it like this. No, do it again. And it's always raining and there's always pizza boxes and maybe Tom Cruise (laughs) needs his bat. Um, yes (laughs) (laughs) i i just i just love those parts of those kinds of movies they both reach for the gun is like such like a flashy Mm -hmm. song it's so burlesque cabaret sort of vibe and he does so good at that and it is like if you think about like when they ask their client to sort of like put on this performance like it is like a back and forth yeah i think i was gonna say i was like i liked how it's almost like in the sting when they have to perform their roles to play the heist Mm -hmm. the playing of the roles on the witness stand is just fun all the time um and the performative nature of that like they always say hollywood loves movies about themselves and in a way this is a movie about hollywood it is a movie about theater it is a movie about acting and i enjoyed that bit totally what stood out to you as you were watching yeah so obviously like i said everyone gets their little show like queen latifah gets to just like cook for she cooks the whole movie but she gets her like james harden iso in her song Catherine zeta jones gets a few times it's just i know that we've said that that's just the nature of this movie is like all right these are stage productions for this you know what did you call it cabaret style mm-hmm. um type of which i'm i know is like a term in in the in the genre but i it's not something that's in my bag but uh oh it just sort of means that like 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 vignettes is like the non-musical okay. version it's like it's like, it's like a dream sequence but not yeah like we're gonna do this little thing and it's gonna be real flashy and fun yeah. and then we're gonna go on to a new little thing and like anytime a movie is like a certain kind of genre like so i think of like action movies um or musicals like where the goal is just the action or the songs like you can kind of like you can pay attention to the plot kind of be on your phone a little bit but once the shooting starts or once the fighting starts or once the musical starts it's like all right let me lock in real quick and this movie made it very clear like lights down everybody to their spots yeah and cue music we're which singing was great. now <laughs> yeah shout out to tay Diggs just being like time for yeah. a song <laughs> 
I just think of Malibu's most wanted when I think of Tay Diggs, which I know he's more than that, but holler back <laughs> player. Yeah. Uh, what a problematic movie. Anyway, this movie also reminded me of I Can't Help Myself, a lot of like sports movie show and plots um, because it's, you know, the young flashy talent taking the headlines and the old veteran trying to you know steal that like glory for themselves and there's that moment where the veteran does some veteran moves i think of like any given sunday and jamie fox's character willie beeman where he like has all this fame and kind of comes seduced by it and becomes like starts sipping his own kool-aid and that's kind of what roxy does and then lastly uh loved lucy Liu's heat check she comes in for five minutes puts up 17 shots makes like 11 of them gets the crowd going, throws down a dunk. Like she is the Valley Oop. She is the Giannis block and the Giannis dunk. She's She's the LeBron James block. She's doing great. She comes in for like, what? It might not even be five minutes. Yeah, she doesn't even have a song. Like Darth Vader, Boba Fett, like eat your hearts out using the most time you got. She just comes in as like, I'm rich. What's up? And And then to steal the movie back, Roxy needs to fake a pregnancy. I just was like, I was really excited for Lucy Liu. We are off the fucking rails right now. But it is like... excellence. Yeah, 100%. But it is definitely like... It's exactly what Roxy did to Velma. But now we're seeing it because we're in Roxy's perspective. She's like, oh God, I'm not the center of attention. What do I do? And And you see the desperation of like the need for that attention once you have that taste. Yeah, I mean, she's even trying to like get to talk to Miss Sunshine, Christine Baranski's character. And Baranski's like, yeah, 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 that's fine. That's fine. And she's like, what? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there's always a shiny new toy. And whenever that shiny toy is Lucy Liu. I was going to say, and hell yeah, that Lucy Liu got to be the shiny new toy. Just comes in a kicking. I just realized that Lucy Liu and Tay Diggs are in this movie and then they reunite and set it up. There you go. What a great movie. What a great connection. <laughs> Happy for those two. Very fun. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. I I love like anytime they can drop like you're like, wait, hold on. Is that Lucy Lou? <laughs> yeah, so, love it. So fun. I love All right. It. So besides how kick ass Lucy Lou is, what have you thought about most since you watched the movie? Uh, the concept of the modern musical, the musical in the 21st century. Like whenever I watched Moulin Rouge and famously texted you is this a musical and you said yes you and our friend maya were like this was a iconic modern musical it brought them back and so you know i was looking up ones in the 21st century so you have you know you have this you have moulin rouge you have i don't know mama mia we have la la land there's rock of ages i think that there is like movies that are musicals that have always been musicals and those exist and then there are stage productions that become movies and those exist as well so like Mm -hmm. i would put like Mamma Mia, Hairspray. Is like Rent in there? Yeah, Rent is in there. Um, Unfortunately, like Cats is in there. Things like that. (laughs) Um, Of just like things that had been on stage and then become movies. And then those movies become very famous and very popular. And like people will be like, oh, I've watched the movie so many times. I've never seen the stage production, but I know all the songs. Mm. And then there's like the other like movie musical that reminds me more of like singing in the rain where it's like Mm -hmm. you're not gonna like go to new york and see a star is born or la la land or any of those even like i don't know bohemian rhapsody would love to see a stage adaptation of uh scott pilgrim (laughs) (laughs) 
don't give them any ideas. They did do a, a stage production of uh, School of Rock, and it was actually really good. <laughs> nice. Let's rock. Let's rock today. Yeah, I uh, I went and saw it when I was at Gamage a couple years ago. It was really Incredible. fun. <laughs> so, you know, Scott Pogo, maybe it can't work out. Yeah. Edgar Wright, give me a call. We'll figure it out. But I think that there is like two sections of like modern musical, but the one that like this one goes in is definitely in the like Rent and Moulin Rouge sort of era where Mm -hmm. it is very over the top. You are meant to be thinking of the stage while you're in it and you're meant to be thinking of like the performance of it all where like movies like a star is born in La La Land are meant to feel like more natural, mm-hmm. like that. Oh, and now we are singing and dancing and nothing has yeah. changed and the pace has stayed the same. And like, that just isn't like, like hairspray has like, they go on like bandstand. Like it's yeah. like, now we are doing a performance. <laughs> and like, that's just very different. Do you have a preference between the two or is it just like, you love musicals and whichever flavor you get, you kind of are into. I think that, the the first kind where it's like something that's on stage and then it comes to the screen is harder to do mm. um, because there is a general corniness that has to come with being on the stage because you mm-hmm. have to oversell all the time. The line is always like sing to the back row. And uh, like when you're on a film set, like you don't have to sing to the back row. So it may come across like as in your face <laughs> and like annoying. Unless as, you're filming Les Mis. Yeah, Uh, where like they're like (laughs) touching your nose you're so close to the screen um but that's like another like modern musical Mm -hmm. that i would put into that section um but you have to know what you're getting yourself into like that's in the heights like i knew that like Mm -hmm. when i go to in the heights like there will be like they'll all be dancing in the street and there will be like a corniness to the verbiage and like there will be nearly no grace it will just be like a full out sort of balls to the wall thing so you said before on your last episode you know i hope the people let you know their favorite chicago song so you could tell them they were wrong uh what is the right answer for for, you know your favorite ones i'm so sorry i said that um i I mean i will just say i you know really enjoyed cell block tango and just the fun that was had there um i enjoyed the razzle dazzle even though you know richard gear was doing his best but i just love the idea of giving it the old razzle dazzle and then the the final number um obviously where they were like all right we're a super team now this movie truly has like some of musical theaters like top songs and all that jazz obviously is massive the cell block tango is like one of the most it's like if someone says like oh that's my favorite musical theater song you're like okay so you've seen like four what you're like it's like a it's like a very basic level but also like it's a fucking jam like it's a classic i know every single word i like i know which person i would want to play if i ever got the chance and like wait who would you be i would want to play i think it's lipschitz where uh she talks about them being mormon oh now oh yeah the six the six wives yes it's like six (laughs) cicero yeah. In my head, since like I watched this movie a week and a half ago, randomly I'll just be like, Cicero. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, if I were to play anybody, I would want to play the girl who finds the Mormon husband because she also gets to say the line, he ran into my knife. He ran into my knife 10 times. <laughs> like <laughs> That is a great. Or nine yeah. times. Or like whatever the number is. Like yeah. it's so fun every single time. Or like 
I caught him with my sister doing number 17, the spread eagle. <laughs> like just the way she says it. <laughs> I, had a, I had a great time watching that one. Everybody, like the, the girl who sings in Hungarian at the end, Catherine Zeta-Jones like, but did you kill him? Uh-uh. Not guilty. <laughs> yeah, oh, Selvok Tango is a classic. I mean, give him the old razzle dazzle. I mean, it's literally a phrase that people know who aren't in musical theater. Like, wait, did some- razzle dazzle come from this musical? It, was it not like, a term? It was like popularized, like okay, to just like spruce him up a little bit, like give him the old yeah. razzle dazzle, just go out there, like that. That's like an obviously a good one. Roxy is a really good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's like a line in there where it's like, I love them and they love me and I love them for loving me, and it's because none of us got enough love in our childhood. That's showbiz, <laughs> baby. <laughs> like it just is like it's so quippy, and I I think there are truly no bad songs in the musical Mm -hmm. i think mama is like one of the best performances it's so fun every time that's who i would want to play if i ever like got the chance to be in the musical (laughs) at all i mean i commented earlier that i really like mr cellophane and that's like Mm -hmm. nearly a throwaway song and i'm like so good it's just (laughs) it's so well done so it's it's hard because there are no bad answers because it is it's almost like when I watched Jerry Maguire and I was like, oh, so every famous line is in this one movie? <laughs> okay. Didn't uh-huh. know the odds were stacked that high. Didn't yeah, know this was yeah. possible. And gotcha. it's a lot like that where it's like, oh, okay. So if I know 20 songs and like nine of them are in this movie <laughs> or in this one, okay, that's yeah. cool. <laughs> I just wanted to give us a quick second shout out to uh, Kathy Zeta-Jones blinking in all that jazz to the beat which i'm assuming is part of the thing but like she just it just hits and i'm like yeah this is very fossey style so bob fossey was a choreographer and he choreographed the original production of chicago on stage among many 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 other things he made famous the term and movement jazz hands and like the the jazz square is very fussy and like everybody loves a good jazz square a hundred percent and so like when i was growing up like in theater people would be like we're gonna do a fussy number you know or like put a little fussy on it like it's like a style it's an attitude it's a just is perfectly encapsulated in all that jazz like that is bob fucking fussy like that's everything (laughs) that he ever did and wanted is like summed up in like how that music plays and how like she dances to it and so when you commented about like the eye movement I'm like yeah that's fucking Bob Fosse like he just (laughs) he is like the jazzy sexy over-the-top fun musical choreographer yeah awesome I step off my soapbox (laughs) thank you look I told you before we recorded I was like Amanda I'm just gonna ask you a lot about musical theater and and musicals. I was also going to ask you about Fosse Verdon, but I, I we're one of the same. Um, <laughs> to to kind of sum that, like all of that, like capturing the essence of that, uh, I just wanted to quote the god Roger Ebert. He said in his review, Chicago is a musical that might have seemed unfilmable, but that was because it was assumed it had to be transformed into more conventional terms. By filming in its own spirit, by making it frankly a stagey song and dance review, by kidding the stories instead of lingering over them. The movie is big, brassy fun. Shout out, Raj. Dude, Raj killed it. I mean, that's yeah. everything I've been saying for 45 minutes um, <laughs> I, in three sentences. <laughs> other things that stood out. 
other than the yeah. musical of it what all. else <laughs> <laughs> man people must have been so desperate for entertainment in like the 20s and it was like babe ruth and crime <laughs> there we go and you can't drink <laughs> and you can't drink but they found a way the last thing that kind of stood out uh, is being an influencer in the 1920s seems so much easier <laughs> so much less competition all you need to do is get christine baranski to write about you and then you're a star all you need to do is like shoot your husband or the guy you're sleeping with and then be famous and beautiful. And then Literally, that woman at the end was like, wait, I'll be famous. Pop. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's a cycle. And people were buying her, doing the hairstyle. Like we see Queen Latifah. She gets a little flapper, blonde hairdo. People are buying anything. Like Addison Ray, eat your heart out. <laughs> Can't put that on TikTok. <laughs> oh, God. What, what happens when Gen Z finds Chicago? Ugh, they won't know what to do with themselves. Imagine right. they're gonna remake a dance to like all that jazz, and you'll be like, "No, stop, stop! I can't, I can't <laughs> take that anymore." We are washed. <laughs> what did you look up about the movie afterwards? Maybe besides texting me, like, "What is happening?" <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to know if everybody sang, and they did. How fun! Good for them. Like you said, Catherine Zeta Jones used to be a dancer. Uh, so I read an article where Renee Zellweger was like, it was just awesome just sitting there while she did her thing. This is insane. And this is there's like seven things to unpack about it. But I didn't realize until probably way too late that Catherine Zeta-Jones wasn't Hispanic because she's in The, the Mask of Zorro. <laughs> 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 like, I didn't realize she was from Wales until I mean, the, like, not like super recently. <laughs> That's awesome. That's Which, so good. you know, we can we can go into the whole whitewashing in Hollywood and the fact that they cast a Welsh woman to play a Spanish Mexican woman in that yeah. movie. But as I watched that movie when I was like seven, I just thought Catherine Zeta Jones was Spanish. I love Catherine Zeta Jones. She's <laughs> so cool. I always did you ever watch Workaholics? I didn't. Okay, so there's a. I'm gonna shortly explain this, but there's an episode where they take mushrooms and stay in their office overnight, but they get like way too high and like somebody they think it's somebody's breaking it, but they're like coming to replace something, and they like when the lasers come on to like protect their business, whatever they work in like an office, they like start singing about Catherine Zeta Jones, and every time I hear it, I'm just like Catherine Zeta Jones. <laughs> <laughs> she dips beneath the lasers. Oh, That's what God. I think of every time. This woman has like awards, and I think of an episode of Workaholics. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry, Catherine. I'm sure she's doing just fine. So good job by everybody singing. Again, another shout out to Queen Latifah, who is one of our great rappers of all time, who is a great actor in like so many genres of movies and is currently the equalizer on CBS. She's a winner. She is winning life. Another thing I looked up to throw back to the cell block tango, I wanted to know what the Hungarian woman said. I've literally never thought to do this in my oh, entire life. It was literally the, like, I, I had to keep myself from pausing the movie immediately, but I waited until the end. And she says, how did I find myself here? They say my famous lover or neighbor held down my husband and I cut his head off, but it's not true. I'm innocent. I don't know why Uncle Sam says I did it. I tried to explain at the police station, but they didn't understand. That's awesome. I yeah. literally have never thought to do that. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, no, I was like, I love what these women have going on in their murderous lives. All that matters is that she's not guilty. <laughs> uh-uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> not guilty. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then lastly, the Oscars. Like you said, this movie was incredibly successful, both critically and in the box office. I think it made $300 million um, on a $45 million budget. It was nominated 13 times, won six times, including Best Picture. Among the movies it beat out for Best Picture were Gangs of New York, which is a Martin Scorsese movie, and The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, (laughs) which I guess is apparently everybody's favorite Lord of the Rings movie. I'm not there yet. Maybe by the time you guys listen to this, I will have watched all three Lord of the Rings movies. I was eight, seven. Like, (laughs) I wasn't paying that much attention (laughs) to the cultural narrative at the time. But I wouldn't be surprised if you were. I'm (laughs) (laughs) fair. But there is often like a connection to like things that are happening in the narrative of the world in like what movies become very famous and popular and are awarded things and and things like that and uh i mean i i jokingly mentioned parasite before but like bon joon ho like didn't come out of nowhere like he had been there for a really long time but i think culturally we people were ready for a story that he was telling for Mm -hmm. the first time and that was awarded and i'm curious to know maybe if anybody who wasn't seven (laughs) during (laughs) this time yeah and it was the first time a musical had won since 1968 which was oliver for best picture also i think you know especially if you want to bring it back to parasite you know the campaign of parasite was so strong right um and this movie was a miramax movie so you know if you know about the academy awards and Miramax and campaigns matter. We talked about it in Little Miss Sunshine. Like everybody thought that was going to win Best Picture because that production company had really put a lot of steam behind that yellow V dub bus. Uh, it also feels like one of those things that maybe like Moulin Rouge was nominated for Best Picture the year before and lost yeah. to A Beautiful Mind. So it might be one of those things where like Moulin Rouge walked so Chicago could run. And I also think like Moulin Rouge is a lot more, there's a lot of like, Baz Luhrmann style yeah. that Roxanne. like yeah that like people aren't always like ready for <laughs> I was not ready for it when I watched it no I can imagine not but I yeah I think this one is a little bit more digestible if I had to give someone like five movie musicals you can't miss out of all of history like i would put chicago on this list Mm, yeah it captures like such a time and like it does such like an incredible job as i mentioned you know many times that like it's hard to make that transition from stage to to screen because they're such different mediums i do want to ask sort of like a twofold here at the end would you watch it again and does it entice you to watch other movie musicals of this era? I don't know if I'll watch it again, honestly. And like after this movie, I did look up a, a thing that I looked up not right away, but later was like other modern musicals that I, you know, most of them I haven't seen. Like I, I still haven't seen Mamma Mia. I haven't seen Rock of Ages, which I know is like probably not good, but like I know some people that really ride hard for Rock of Ages. And so I think after watching Chicago and having previously watched Moulin Rouge like six months ago, I have like dove headfirst into the deep end in terms of the 21st century musical movies and can now just kind of see the variations off of that because like you you were saying earlier it was such an inflection point in terms of the hollywood production of musicals like i'm I'm glad i watched it like i'm glad that it would have taken you making me watch it to like finally just fire it up but like as a person who loves movies and loves movie history and the history of the academy awards and you know all the things that come with that i feel better for having watched it do you think that 
you need to know sort of like a lot of the stage history to appreciate this movie. I mean, that's any movie I watch, though. Like, if I'm watching a, you know, like when I watched The Parallax View, I was like, I need to know the political state of the United States before I watch this paranoid thriller and like the Prince of Darkness and his cinematography, just so I can contextualize and appreciate it because I feel like context helps me appreciate these movies more. But it's also just a fun time. Like if you want to watch some people perform and dance and have a razzle dazzle time, like you're probably going to be having fun watching Chicago. If you're not into musicals at all, you might you might not make it out of the first 30 minutes. And if you don't have a podcast with your best friend to talk about these things, you might not finish it. But that's okay. That's what we're here for. To put you on the spot a little bit, like you don't have to like put it like where it is in your top whatever, but like is it like top five, top ten? Is it like first tier, second tier, third tier, like favorite musical favorite being the emphasis here? For musicals in general? Music like movie musicals. Movie musicals. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's definitely it has to be one of my favorites because my playlist of like my musical theater like show tunes playlist I have the movie version of all of these songs. Nice. Like I, <laughs> I have like Renee Zellweger singing Roxy Heart. It just is like it's so well produced and you get a feeling of like there's like a feeling you get when you go see a, a live performance, mm-hmm. whether it's a concert or a sporting event or a musical on like a stage like there is like an atmosphere about it and i think that this does a really good job of like giving you that same feeling where you know not not everything is like lame is is not like that and it has nothing to do with how good or bad the movie adaptation of lame is it's just that lame is is so it's an operetta like it's so big that you have to do like film film in order to make it on the film. Uh-huh. And it's a very different style. And so it has to go high. Like, obviously, Grease is my number one. I'm going to also, like, the Rent movie musical is really good. Mamma Mia is really fun. I'm not sure if it cracks my top 10. Maybe my maybe it does, but it's I feel really like fun. that's like a make or break of whether or not you love ABBA. Yeah. And, like, I have no issues with it, but there's also, like, one or two songs where I'm like, I could skip this part. And, <laughs> like, maybe I'm going to be, like, burned at the stake for that. But um, I think, it, like, Rocky Horror Picture Show is, like, really good as a movie. I would also put, like, Little Shop of Horrors, mm. the movie version in there. Uh, that one's really fun. Obviously, things like The Sound of Music are, like, incredible. Like, I watch The Sound of Music every year, uh, things like that. But I love La La Land, and I love A Star is Born, and and that's, like, a style. And then you have the Disney version. Like, Frozen Mm -hmm. is very good, like, all that kind of stuff. I haven't seen the, like, movie, musical, biography movie yet. Like, Oh, you're talking about, like, Ray... Yeah, or like Rocket Man, or like oh. <laughs> I haven't seen like any of those. Not that I there's anything wrong. Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, like that. There's nothing wrong with them. I just like haven't haven't gotten mm-hmm. there yet. Mm-hmm. Dream Girls is another very good movie. Version. Uh, Dream Girls rules. Yeah, That's a probably, very yeah. good movie version of a musical. And uh, you know, there's one more, and I can't <laughs> think of it. I mean, you've literally named sixteen or seventeen. In your best oh. Mallory Rubin? Like, I don't... <laughs> yeah, let me name a few. Here's 60. 
oh the phantom of the opera that's the other like big classic one that i'm missing that's another one where you probably have to really like musicals to to like it but they do a really incredible job of putting it into a movie i could go on forever but i'll stop now <laughs> do you have any no, i favorites? appreciate it <laughs> i mean like you know to I don't know, whatever your basic one was about like cell block tango being a song, you know, obviously love singing in the rain, like yeah. a very formative movie just in general. Um, just wanted to also shout out uh, an American in Paris and uh, oh, it's always fair that's... weather. Shout out to Gene Kelly dancing on rollerblades. That is a really good one. You like those old style ones that I never think of when people ask me this. Yeah, it's just the old like Hollywood, like that's where the glitz and glam and I just kind of really think of that. Uh, I haven't seen like some iconic ones still. Like I haven't seen My Fair Lady. So I'm I'm glad you watched it. I think it is like it's a cornerstone of something. Um, even if it's like not your bag, I think it is like still very important to watch. Like as a film person, um, I'm glad you took that leap. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I like musicals in the past, and I like obviously this is a movie that matters a lot to people and. Who am I to say like, oh, I don't want to watch it because I, you know, whatever, like everybody had a great time and so did I. So uh, thanks for finally making me watch it. And, you know, Cicero. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So the next time you're going to hear us is going to be. Wait, 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 wait. No, let's get it. Which movie did you enjoy more of the two? I think I already know the answer. Yes, it's Chicago. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. I like this thing better. But I think this is like one of the first times where we preferred our own movies. Yeah, I think it truly is like we each picked a movie wildly out of each other's comfort zones. Yeah, we went like we shine the flashlight like in the pitch black dark blind spot. So good job by us. Yeah, nice. All right. So next time you guys hear us, it's going to be October. It's going to be spooky season. So I'm making Zach watch a spooky movie. I'm very excited. <laughs> so we're yeah. going to be it's it's a uh, spooky movies slash relationship problems. And <laughs> I'm sticking with which I think it's so funny. Um, oh, God. And I will be watching Dial M for Murder for the first time. And Zach, you'll be watching. I'll be watching Get Out, which is a movie I've been wanting to watch and which is a movie that Amanda has said I will be able to watch. And I'm excited to because I know for many reasons, it's probably one of the most important iconic movies in the last like 10 years. Yes, yes, yes. If I I talked I loved lo- it. I love everybody involved in the movie. I just found out Josh from West Wing is the dude in Get Out. Yeah, he's the dad. He famously says, I would have voted for Obama three times if I could have. So those are the next movies. You guys can uh, get a head start on those. I'm very excited. But we did want to start asking, what do you know about your movie going into it before, uh, before you see it? Yeah, okay. So I actually know a lot about Get Out because... You know, it was a real sensation when it came out. Obviously, Jordan Peele's first movie. Um, we got Daniel Kaluuya, Lakeith Stanfield came out of it. All the memes, all the tea, all the I would have voted for Barack Obama three times, all the sunken place jokes. I, I know a lot of I, it's a movie that I looked up the Wikipedia plot. Like I've mentioned before, I look up Wikipedia plots for scary, spooky movies all the time. I'm going to do it in a few days when M. Night Shyamalan's Old comes out. So you you do know how like what the how the movie ends, you know, the twist. I know Homie shows up at the end, okay. but I kind of it's been like years since I've kind of thought about the plot of Get Out. So there is a lot that I don't know. Okay, good. I wouldn't read any more before you see it. No, 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 no. Once I accepted the fact that, one, 
I've wanted to watch this movie. And once I, you know, was like, okay, I'm going to make this happen. I tried to, I have a good ability to compartmentalize. Like I forgot the red wedding was going to happen when <laughs> I was watching game of Thrones, even though I knew it was going to happen. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm excited to kind of get into that. Cool. I am watching Dial M for Murder. It's one of yes, the Yes, I'm so excited for you. Me too. It's one of the very few Alfred Hitchcock movies I haven't seen. Um, it's just been on my long list for so, so long. And I'm really, when you asked, like, can I do this one? I was like, oh, yes. I'm so excited to have, like, a reason to watch it. Um, so obviously, I know Alfred Hitchcock. I know it's very famous. I know Grace Kelly is in it. And I know like a weird fact is that it was originally supposed to be made in 3D. And then when it was aired in 2D, people were it like lost some of its luster. So it's not necessarily like in the pantheon, but like I would say it's like right underneath. Like people love this movie. Oh, wow. I did not know that. You just taught me something about the movie I'm telling you to watch. Yeah. I've been looking for an excuse to talk about Grace Kelly. Not that anybody needs more reason to talk about Grace Kelly. What since we talked about musicals and I forgot it. Really love High Society. Mm. Um, that that's a movie I really love. Have you seen that one? Mm-mm. Oh, we'll get back there. That's yeah. a great one. I need to like start watching movies that were only made before 1960. <laughs> <laughs> it's Something okay. That's like what that. I'm. He- that's what I'm here for. Uh, you'll show me scary movies and I'll show you movies before 1960. I can't wait. Yeah, All right, I can't so- wait to talk about that movie. I do want to ask a little bit, uh, just a one-liner, what is on your watch list uh, as of right now? Um, one top of mind is Captain Fantastic. Uh, it's that movie with, I think, Viggo Mortensen. It's been on my Netflix list for a minute now. After watching Kajillionaire recently, I was reading some reviews and it kind of got comped to that movie in certain ways. So I'm excited for that. And then I wanted to ask really quick, do I need to watch Legally Blonde 2? No. Okay. Even though I'm going to watch Legally Blonde 3 when it comes out in 2022. If somewhere you hear you somehow needed to watch, I can tell you the, the whole thing in like a minute and a half. It's not <laughs> worth it. Okay. Um, though you will miss the the very fun and famous scene where she shows up like in all like Americana mem- like regalia and uh, Jennifer Coolidge's character says, wow, you look like the 4th of July. Makes me want to have a hot dog real bad. <laughs> That's from? Yeah. Wow. Legally Blonde too. I feel like I've watched the movie already. Red, white, and blonde. <laughs> Naturally. God, yeah. the, the aughts. That's basically the best part of the movie, so I think you're fine. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I'm excited. To, I'm probably going to pick up my movie watching now that the NBA playoffs are over. So what about you? What's on your watch list? Oh, I'm so deep in Mad Men right now. I'm I, so like, happy for you. You texted me a week ago like, oh, yeah, I'm in the middle of season two. This thing is happening. And then yesterday texted me, I'm on the suitcase. And you know what? Today I'm on episode four, season five. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I'm cruising through the through Mad Men right now. I can't wait to like talk about this show over old fashions with you. Yes, maybe I'll start smoking. Um, <laughs> Margot Tenenbaum and Don Draper. I told you. I'm deep in Mad Men, so I haven't watched a lot of movies lately. But I will hopefully get to a couple soon. I'm not I'm not off the train, but I am super invested in some TV shows right now. But thank you everybody for listening. Um, I know this episode was a lot of monologuing, <laughs> mostly on my part. You didn't see it. You guys couldn't see it because this is famously an audio medium. But um, every time Amanda had her little corner, she actually put on a stage production. 
Yeah, I, I did a little tap dance. I did a little jazz square, a little fossey. Um, I did do the jazz hands when I explained jazz hands. Um, hopefully that <laughs> energy comes across to you. Um, but in the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram. <laughs> I will not be performing on Instagram live. That is left to the imagination. Um, but you can follow us at BlindSpottersPod. And you can also follow us on Twitter at BlindSpotters. But Zach, if they want to follow you, where can they find you on? online you can follow me on twitter at zach Pocklib, or you can follow me on letterboxd under the name zach Pocklib. so to follow the movie journeys there follow the endless tweets about rose lavelle and tobin heath and the u.s women's national team what about you where can they follow you you can follow me on all socials at amanda luberto um but twitter's probably my best medium so <laughs> i would suggest maybe there listen to valley 101 listen to the gaggle to bring it back somewhat to the movies, I wish you could switch the follow button to you follow. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's oh. what I think of now. I think it's great. All right. So follow us on <laughs> Instagram, on Twitter. Follow Zach. Follow me if you'd like. And we will see you the second Tuesday of every month. And we will bring you Get Out and Dial M for Murder. Happy watching. Cicero. <laughs>